invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to continue in our series on awakenings. It is a journey through Ephesians. And I just want you to know, and I'm not asking for forgiveness, I want you to know I've been praying dangerous prayers for you. Didn't that make you feel good? Didn't that warm your heart to know your pastor's praying dangerously for you? Actually, I'm just picking up on what the Apostle Paul did. We talked about this last week when we talked about awakened to security. When Paul took off, I mean like a a runner out of the starting blocks, and just, just prayed this amazing prayer over us as followers of Jesus, and even then specifically to those in Ephesus, I want to remind you, as we make this journey through Ephesians, that Paul was writing from a Roman prison cell. And why the book of Ephesians and Colossians are both so big for me is that he wrote both of those letters at about the same time. Do you realize it's not a book? It's actually letters that he was writing to the churches. So Paul was in a Roman prison cell, probably going to be executed. He didn't know for sure if that was going to happen or not, but it did. Either one to three years later, Paul was martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I read a letter from somebody who knows this may be the last thing that I ever write, this may be the last thing that I ever say, that gives it much weight and much gravity. Because what he, in his mind, as he penned those letters, remember he wrote to Colossians to correct some things and because there were some really crazy things going on. In Ephesians, it wasn't a book of correction. It was almost like his, his last testimony, his last words of saying, if I could tell you one thing, it would be this. And so he pens the letter to the Ephesians from a Roman prison cell. And even as he does... He covers a wide range of territory within these these six chapters. It's short, but it is impactful. I remember, and we're going to be talking today about Awaken to Grace. I don't know if you've ever had a grace awakening or not, but I I have. And I, I joke about it, and I say I was grace before grace was trendy and cool. I was talking about grace before it was on everything, before it was on bumper stickers and t-shirts and bracelets, and and before you heard it in every song on K-Love. I was into it long, long before that, and here's why. It's because I need much grace. (laughs) I require a ton of grace, just ask my wife. (laughs) And because of that, I had to run to something because I struggled. And you need to understand something. I was not raised in church. I wasn't that kid that was raised having it all together and all figured out. I was raised by non-Christian parents, not bad parents, but they were not followers of Jesus. I was taken to Sunday school every once in a while by a praying granny. Thank God for my, we called her nanny. Thank God for nanny. Aren't you glad you've got some grandparents that prayed you into the kingdom out there? Am I the only one? And my dad, he was wild. He was, he was back in the day. I mean, he was like the Fonz back in the day. He rode a Triumph motorcycle and raced motorcycles. He was the wild guy with a leather jacket and, you know, just a wild guy, wild by spirit. He had a wild nature about him. And so I grew up with that. And then I grew up and found music and found Led Zeppelin, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, what is this, what is this stuff I'm listening to? I found uh, 
deep purple, and I found, and the list goes on and on. And all those things filled spaces in my life, but they also took me on paths. And some of those paths weren't so good. And if there's anything I want you to get out of today in this journey we're calling awakenings is this. I want you to awaken to something. And what I want you to awaken to is grace, but I want to awaken you to your identity in Jesus Christ. Because here's what I learned. I am not the sum total of my mistakes. I am not the sum total of my missteps. I am not the sum total of the sins that I've committed. I am not defined by behaviors. It is the creator that defines the created. And I am defined by who I am in Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you the truth. It would be easy for me to look into my path and say, I can't do what I'm doing. How do, who do I think I am? And let me tell you something. There are times like you when I look in the mirror and that voice comes back to me. Who do you think you are? Who, who told you you had the right to open the Bible and teach and preach about Jesus? Who, who commissioned you and said, gave you the authority to lead a church? How dare you think you can lead the bride of Christ? Because I know you. You ever heard that voice or am I the only one? Fortunately, I have an answer for that voice. Sounds a little bit like this. Let me tell you who I am. And this isn't because I'm arrogant, but it's because I walk in agreement with the Scripture. Because the Bible tells me who I am. Remember, the Creator defines the created. And here's what He says about me. He says, you're a son. He says, you're the head and not the tail. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28. Son, Romans 8, 15. I mean, we can go down the list on this. But here's what I do. I answer every lie, every accusation with truth. And here's what truth does. It sets you free. Some of you are sitting here today and you think you're defined by your mistakes. You think you're defined by your past. You think you're defined by an incident that happened in your life. Let me tell you something. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Amen. You are defined by the one who created you. And he says you are loved. He says you're blessed. He says you're above only and not beneath. He says you're above your circumstances, not under your circumstances. Can I get an amen? amen. Somebody should say, I'll take that. Pastor Don Fento, many, many years, a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, taught us. He said, whenever, whenever someone says something and you're in agreement with it, you should just grab it and say, I'll take that. So if you ever see me in the middle of something, and I do that, I'm not swatting flies. I'm grabbing something. Some of us need to grab some truth today. Amen? Don't you practice that one time. Say, I'll take that. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me give you the definition of awaken because this is really, this is why we're doing what we're doing and why we're walking down this path. And I'll tell you a little more about my grace awakening journey as we go. Listen to the, the definition of awaken. It means to become fully conscious. That means you're wide awake, unlike me at 1230 driving home from Austin last night. I was only awake when Annette would scream, there's another deer, there's another deer. Then I'd be like, you know. Adrenaline rush, and then I start 
whew, I was all in between. Those deer will keep you away. To become fully conscious, alert or aware of something. And I love this, to stir up or to activate. What we're trying to do here is activate what is already in you. You need to understand something. When the Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory, he means that Christ is in you. You don't need more Christ from out of you. He's already in you. Spiritual awakening is this. It is awakening to the truth that already is. Who you already are in Christ. The one who numbers the hair on your head. Well, some of you. Uh, most of you. Chuck, I did not mean to look over in your direction when I said that. He numbers the very hairs on your beard. How's that? That helped? I'll bend the scripture there a little bit for you. He, know, he knows everything about you, and He calls you beloved. He calls you blessed. That is who you are. He defines you. Men, your job does not define you. When someone asks what you do or who you are, you don't say, this is my job. But we do that, don't we? We men, we like our job. We like our identity tied up in what we do. But that is not our identity. Our identity is who we are in Christ. Who are you? I'm a son. Well, of course you're a son. You're, you're alive. You're, you have to be. A, no, no, I'm a son of the Most High God. You know what that means? It means I'm a king's kid. That means I'm royalty. I'm just saying that's what the Bible says. That's what we're awakening to. We're stirring up. We're activating awakening to who we are. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's dive into this. Look at this. Remember that in chapter 1, Paul started off with his typical salutation. Greetings. You know, you're blessed in heavenly places. I mean, very typical of Paul's style. But then he goes into a prayer that is amazing, off the charts. We talked about that last week in Awakened to Security. This week, we're talking about Awakened to Grace. And Paul now switches gears. And here, let me just tell you, I'll, I'll give you, the, I'll give you the, the end to the, before the beginning. He's going to say, this is who you were, but you're not that anymore. Somebody should just grab that. This is who you were, but you're not that anymore. I want you to listen to the tenses as we go through here. I love the language, so I get into this. I nerd out big time on this, so hang in. Number one, look at this. Awakened to grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, this is Paul writing, and you he made alive. He's writing to the Ephesian believers. By the way, it was a circular letter, so it wasn't just to the Ephesians. It was to any Christian who read it. They would circulate these letters. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Did you notice the tense? Were. Were. Now you're alive. You were dead and now you're alive. You are alive in Jesus. That is who you are. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's saying, you used to be this, but now you're this. You're not who you used to be. You're not fully realized who you're going to be because you're on the journey. We're not quite arrived. We're not fully there. But thank God we're not where we used to be. We are on the journey. And I say it like this. Whether it's a millimeter or a mile, thank God for it and celebrate it every day. Thank you, Lord. I go to bed at night and go, thank you, Lord. Maybe it was a millimeter. Woo, we barely moved today, but we moved. The dial got moved a little bit. We had one tick on the meter, just one. But that's enough to say, thank you, Jesus. I am not who I used to be. 
I remember calling a friend. This was years ago. An old high school friend. How many know some of your old high school friends know you pretty well? Is there a way to erase all of that? He called me, and we were talking. He was saying, hey, I heard you you became a Christian. I said, yeah, Kurt, I did. Actually, in fact, man, you were the dude that had a Bible on the dash of your pickup the whole time we were cruising around drinking Lone Star on the drag. He goes, yeah, I'd go to youth camp. I'd get excited, and I'd come home, and I'd crash. And I said, well, I got saved. I haven't crashed. I'm on fire for Jesus. And you know what he said to me? His voice changed. It was one of those weird moments. He goes, I know you, Jimmy Pruitt. I know you. I know who you are, and I know what you've done. It wasn't Kurt. It was the accuser of the brethren. And it was like, for a moment, it took me back. I'm a young believer. I'm new in Christ. I'm just learning all this. I'm like, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? This is my old buddy here. And he's saying, I know you. I know you. I know who you are. And I don't know where it came from because I hadn't learned this, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in the moment. You know what I said? I said, no, Kurt, you know who I used to be. You don't know who I am now. Man, I'm telling you, I didn't know anything about word of knowledge, anything about, I mean, I didn't know anything. I was a brand new Christian, but I knew that to be the truth. I am not who I used to be. Let me ask you a question. Are you still tethered to what you used to be? Are you still tethered to those mistakes, those sins, those missteps? Are those still like a bungee cord attached to you, snapping you back? Because it is not who you are. It is only who you used to be. And even then, it wasn't who you were. It was what you did. Listen to this. He made alive who was dead. Let's go to the next verse. Three. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. He's going on with this thought. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by and were. And I may be from West Texas. That means I don't have good grammar. Seriously. We butcher the language. But I understand present tense, past tense, and future tense. He's saying we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So you see the setup? You were this, you were this, this is who you were, this is who you were. And then in verse 4, two words that mean a ton to me, but God. But God. You do know what but means. Anybody who comes to you and says, oh, oh, you're so amazing and I so appreciate you, but. What does that mean? That means anything that came before but gets canceled, right? It's like delete. Like, where did it all go? Wait a minute. You loved me. I was amazing, but. It's like when somebody comes to me, Pastor, you know I love you. You know I appreciate all you do for us, but. You just deleted that whole conversation. I just, I go, but what? Or when a spouse comes to another spouse and says, you know, honey, I love you, but. We men know that's not going to be good. Am I the only one who's ever heard that? (laughs) That's not common language around our household, praise God. Especially for me. If I ever said that, I would cease to exist probably, but. But God, but God, all that that went before, this is who you were, but 
This is who you were, but you should grab a hold of that. This is who you were, but it's not you now. You've got to get a hold of this. Even if you have to lay hold of it by faith, not by how you feel. See, your feelings will fool you. They will trick you. They will make you think something that's not true. Feelings cannot be trusted in this instance. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. And I have to say this. I'm going to side with what the Bible says. I'm going to side with what God says about me, not with how I feel right now. Because you may feel one way, but that doesn't mean it's the truth. It's just a feeling. But my feelings are real, and you need to validate me in my feelings. I will validate you in the fact, but not in the truth. The fact is temporary and subject to change. Truth is eternal in nature. So I'll validate you in the fact, but it is temporary and subject to change. So if you feel that way, you can feel that way. But don't live that way. Don't stay there. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you walk through. You don't stop and pitch a tent there and say, all right, I think I can manage this. It's ugly. This looks like Death Valley. But no, no, no. We don't stay there. We keep moving through the valley of the shadow of death. And then his goodness starts running after us. It says, surely goodness goodness and mercy will follow me, chase me, pursue me all the days of my life. Don't stop. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. Did you know your destiny? We talked about this in the first week, that we are awakening to our destiny. Here's your destiny. Let me just make this real clear. clear. This is from John Lynch, who wrote a great book called The Cure. You're looking for a good read? Read The Cure by John Lynch. It will wreck you in a good way. And in that book, he says this, Our destiny is to learn how to receive love. That might not have been mind-blowing or earth-shattering for you right now, but if you stop and think about that for just one second, here's what I've learned in my short 57 years, is that I cannot give away that which I do not have. If I do not know how to receive love, if I do not have the capacity to say, yes, God, Yes, God, I'm going to be a glutton for your love. If I do not have the capacity to receive it because of my damage, because of my hurt, because of the pain, because of how I see myself, because of family of origin issues, whatever the list goes on, if I cannot receive love, I'm not capable of giving it. This is where a lot of people live. A lot of good people, a lot of followers of Jesus who love Jesus, but they have yet to really receive from Him. Because we think loving means doing stuff and not being something. He says this, But God, who's rich in mercy because of His love, because of His love with which He loved us, I receive mercy, I receive love. By the way, mercy means that you... Do not get what you deserve, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Mercy means we do not get what we deserve. Grace means that we do get what we didn't deserve. Let me give you a simple acronym, G-R-A-C-E. Dr. Frankie Rainey, who I talked about earlier, gave this to us when I was a college student. It's God's riches. At Christ's expense. Grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. Let me tell you what grace isn't. Grace is not passive. Grace is not swinging a hammock on a hot, warm summer day. Grace is not just laying back and letting life happen. Let me tell you what grace is. It is active and it is powerful. And I want to define it for you in just a moment. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. And here's that word again. By grace you have been saved. Grace is not passive, my friends. Grace is powerful. Now, when you talk to somebody and ask them how they define grace, most people will say, well, grace is God's unmerited favor. That is true, and that is one facet of a many-faceted jewel. It's just one facet. I did a deep dive study, 1998, 1999, because being a grace guy and having a grace awakening of my own, I was like, I want to deep dive this. People were starting to talk about it more and more, and it was becoming a little more popular in the sense how even Bible things can become trendy. And I was like, before this just takes on its own, its own steam, so to speak, and takes on its own course, I want to deep dive this. And I exegeted everything I could find in the Bible about grace. And here's what I came. When I put it all together into one simple definition, I've lived by this since that time. Here's what grace is. I call it P-S-A-A-F. P-S-A-A-F. I have to have an acronym to remember things. So here it is. Grace is this. It is God's power, God's strength, God's ability, God's favor, God's authority to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. That is grace. It's power. It's strength. It's an enablement. It's authority. It's ability. And it's favor. There's the favor piece. The favor factor's there. But it empowers you to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. I cannot save myself. It is by grace through faith that I'm saved. I can't save myself. But by grace through faith, I can be saved. Let me just go keep on with this. Verse 6. And here's what he did. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's where we struggle. But I don't feel like I'm sitting there now. Because life stinks for me right now. Things are not working out. Things are not going as planned. Amen. That is true. But that doesn't discount where we are positionally in Christ. This is a difficult concept to wrap your mind around, but I double, triple dog dare you to try. Because this is so critical to who you are. This is critical to how you walk into a room, how you lead a company, how you lead your family, how you lead anything you do. This is a game changer. When you understand that you have already been seated in Christ in heavenly places, not going to be someday, but you are there now. That's how God sees you. When He sees you, He doesn't see you as weak. He doesn't see you as a sinner that you feel like you are. He doesn't see you as the one who's broken down. The Lord spoke to me about calling people broken a number of years ago. I had a vision. I don't have many of those. I was driving. That's a little scary. I had a vision while I was driving. I was working in Nashville. I was working for Dave Ramsey. And I was driving from Thompson Station to Brentwood, Franklin area 
to the Cool Springs area where my job was. Instead of taking the interstate, I decided to take a beautiful, windy country road through the hills of Tennessee. Absolutely idyllic, especially in the morning with the, with the fog and the smoky look. It was incredible. I was having a moment with God. As I'm driving, I'm praying about broken people that had come into our lives. I'm like, Lord, they're so broken. They're so broken. And as I was saying that, I had a real-time vision. Like I said, don't have many of these, but I had an awake dream. And what I heard while I was driving, and I was, the scene rolled through my head, it was an old sculptor's studio. And light was streaming in. There was just enough dust hanging in the air that it caught the rays of light as they came through a window. And it was that clear. And as even as I'm telling you, I see it as clear as I did the day I saw it. And I heard this sound of things hitting. It sounded like a wooden, old wooden floor. And it sounded like something of weight, like rocks or boulders hitting the floor and then a hammer blow and hitting the floor. And as I panned around the room, I saw works of art, sculptures, of beautiful, like Greek, you know, with flowing robes and all that, but they weren't finished. They were in process. And I saw, I didn't see a, an individual face or anything, but a, like a sculptor with big muscly arms hitting a hammer onto a chisel, and then I would hear that sound, and that was what was making the sound and creating the dust in the room. And the Lord said to me, and I've never heard his audible voice, but it was as clear in my heart as it is me talking right now, he said, don't call them broken. They're just not finished. And it was such a shift in my perspective. Because when we call people broken, in a sense, we're putting judgment on them. We're, we're pronouncing something upon them. But when we say they're not yet finished, that became a thing in our house with our daughter. And we'd talk about her friends and we'd say, oh, they're just not yet finished. <laughs> they're a work in process. God's working on something. And I want you to know something. He raised us up, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Say, I don't feel that way right now. I don't feel like I'm sitting in heavenly places in Christ. I don't feel like I'm over anything. I feel like I'm under everything. But let me tell you something. God's working on something. One hammer blow at a time. Stuff is falling off. Junk is falling off. The extra, the excess, that which keeps you from being defined as who you are, is falling off and it's beginning to take shape. God is working on you. But he already sees the end from the beginning because an artist always sees the finished product before it's brought into reality. Did you hear me? That was so good, I need to go back and listen to that. Somebody write that down quick. I can't even repeat it. The artist always sees in the mind's eye, the finished product before it becomes reality. It's already there. It's how an artist works. They envision it, they see it, and then they produce it. You should right now, where you're sitting, just say, I'm not yet finished. I'm not broken. I'm not damaged. I'm not, I'm not junk. I'm not beyond anything. I'm not finished. I am in process. Amen? He raised us up together, made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. There it is again. God's riches, a Christ's expense, is yours and mine. In His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, I've got to jump back one chapter to chapter one. It's the next slide. 
This is Paul when he was praying, and we were just told that we're seated in Christ, right? So follow the logic train with me. We did this a little bit last week, but I want to go there again because it's this, it is that important. If I've been raised up together, seated in Christ, in heavenly places, get your mental image working there. Sanctified imagination, let's get it to work. Let's activate that. If that's where I'm at right now, that's how he sees me. Not what I'm going to be, but where I am now. If that's how God sees me, look where that places me in chapter 1, verse 20. Paul saying, which he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And look what he did. He seated Christ, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Follow the logic. If I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places, and Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the place of authority and favor, then doesn't that put me in the same place? And guess where that puts us? Follow the scripture here. It puts us here, far above. Someone say far above. Far above all. Someone say far above all. Think about this for a second. Let this settle in for a moment. You are seated in Christ in heavenly places far above all. Now remember, you're not finished yet. Some of us have some bigger chunks than others, right? They just got to be knocked off, chiseled off. But you're not done. Look what he says. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Those are all demonic forces, by the way. That's not government. That's not federal, state, and local government. That's not man's. These are demonic hierarchies. And you are in Christ at the right hand of the Father, far above all these things. Let me just say something. Some of you should just receive that by faith. Say, that's mine. I don't get it. I can't fully wrap my mind around it. That's okay. We walk by faith and not by sight. Just grab it and say, I'll take that. Even though I don't understand it, I'll take it. And look at this. And above every name that is named, not only on this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. If all things are under Jesus' feet and you're seated in Christ, where are all things? Sometimes you need to do a little dance on the devil's head. This is where you are. That voice comes at you in the mirror and you go, you're under my feet. No. No. You don't have to believe every voice that's coming at you. You don't have to accept everything that's said about you. It's under your feet. It's under your feet. Are you hearing me, church? It's under your feet. That should put a pep in your step and a smile on your face. It's under your feet. Verse 8. We're laying with two verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace. You've been given what you didn't deserve. Grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Remember? You do that which you cannot in and of yourself do because of grace. It is the gift of God. What do you do with a gift? <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'll take that. Thank you, Lord. What do you do afterwards? 
you give it away. You give it away. You tell your redemption story. You say, man, let me tell you something. I was a jacked up mess. Let me tell you what God did. But God. But God showed up on my behalf. But God busted up into my business. But God changed the trajectory of my life. But God changed my family tree when he stepped into my life. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what God has done for me. But God. I used to be this. But God. I used to do this. But God. I used to act like this. But God. You know, repentance simply means more than turning, it means to return. We repent, we return back to Him and be reconciled with the Father. That is what we're called to do. That's our destiny. And we receive love, we receive grace so that we can give it away by the truckload. And in the last verse, here it is, back to not yet finished. For we are His workmanship. The New Living Translation translates that masterpiece. I like that. You are a masterpiece in process. He already sees the end from the beginning. He already knows what you're going to look like. Can you imagine leaning into and beginning to live up to what he already sees? It'll change your life. And not only will it change yours, it'll change those that are in your orbit. Because you'll walk differently and you'll talk differently. In the words of the great theologian M.C. Hammer, You can't touch this. I'm just saying. (laughs) Amen, MC. Hammer time. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know where that came from. My wife is going, where did that come from? I promise I don't secretly listen to MC Hammer. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, and we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Remember the hammer which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's your destiny. It's your destiny. It's your security. And now it's your grace awakening. Awaken to grace, friends. But God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. We're going to end with worship. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as they come up? Just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, Thank you for your amazing grace. What's so amazing about grace for me, Lord? It's that you give it to me in abundance, unending. Thank you.